This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. We started looking at this passage a few weeks ago. And we came to this passage with this thought, questions concerning marriage. And uh, we did not uh, fully cover the subject. And so this evening we're going to uh, at least look at the remainder of the portion uh, uh, concerning marriage. And, and then there's a digression in verses uh, 17 and following uh, that deal with social issues and how Christians are to be or how to respond to social issues. And then the remainder of the chapter deals with those who are unmarried. And so uh, we'll look at that in the weeks ahead, but uh, we're going to continue to look at the subject of marriage and those who were, uh, as Paul addressed them, already married, and to those of you who are here this evening and are married, or if you want to be married, uh, then you're going to get some help and instruction. Uh, we come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and uh, I want us just to back up and we'll read verses 1 uh, through 16. Verses 1 through 16. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. When Paul said, I would that all men were even as myself, he, he's referring here to his condition or his state as a single man. Verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any uh, brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if uh, he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy." 
But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Uh, we come again to this passage, and we note questions concerning marriage. And just for sake of review, we note that as we looked at this passage uh, last time, we noted three things. Number one, we noted confusion. There was confusion in the church concerning the question of marriage. And we identified two major factors that contributed to this confusion. Number one was corrupt teaching, false teaching. And uh, we noted from John Phillips' commentary that there were two uh, tendencies of false ideology and false teaching among the Corinthians. I, I just want to review them again very briefly to help you get an understanding of where the Corinthian believers uh, where they were coming from, and how Paul was addressing their specific questions. Uh, first of all, Phillips notes that some in the church uh, were teaching in, in a false way, and they had what he identifies as Essene or ascetic tendencies. Essene, ascetic tendencies. Uh, asceticism is the denial of the flesh. And he said they were inclined to regard marriage as a form of defilement. Uh, those believers who had influenced, uh, by, who were influenced by such teaching, therefore sought to separate from their spouse because they viewed all sexual relationships as evil. And we know this is a false teaching. On the other side of these ascetic tendencies, were antinomian tendencies. And the antinomian doctrine taught uh, that if there was a natural desire in the flesh for sexual fulfillment, uh, and they had already received the grace of God concerning salvation, then because they had this next natural desire, they were therefore given license to commit sexual sin. They were given a license to fulfill uh, the natural desires of their flesh without any restraint. And so there was this teaching that taught asceticism to say any physical intimacy is sinful. And then there was this teaching of antinomianism, which taught that any sexual behavior was permissible. These were the corrupt teachings that the church was being influenced by. That's why doctrine is so important. Doctrine is important. A second thing that caused their confusion was, of course, the cultural trends of the day. And as we already noted in the very beginning of our study of 1 Corinthians, that Corinth was a, a wicked city. It was a very immoral city. And the idea of marriage and the definition of marriage uh, was a source of confusion. Uh, John MacArthur in his commentary noted that divorce was common in Paul's day. He said it was not impossible for men and women to have been married 20 times or more. He went on to write, an active and vocal feminist movement had also developed. 
Some wives competed with their husbands in business and even in feats of physical strength. Many were not interested in being housewives or mothers, and by the end of the first century, childless marriages were common. Both men and women were determined to live their own lives regardless of marriage vows or commitments. The early church had members that lived together and were still living that had lived together, rather, and were still living together under one of the four different marriage arrangements that were culturally acceptable in Corinth. It also had some believers that had gotten the notion that being single and celibate was more spiritual than being married. They disparaged marriage entirely. This, no doubt, was due to the fact that they were being taught that any physical union between a man and a woman was immoral. And so because of the immaturity in the church, because of the false teaching in the church, there was division and confusion concerning the subject of marriage. And it is into that context that Paul is writing. We saw, secondly, that Paul gave clarity concerning marriage. He gave clarity. He gave clarity concerning marital relationships in verses one and two. And here uh, the idea is reinforced uh, concerning the fulfillment of sexual desires, that it is to be filled, uh, fulfilled in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. There is no other context in which that desire can be righteously fulfilled. Now you see how that message was diametrically opposed to the cultural trends of the Corinthians and also how it is diametrically opposed to our own culture today. And so he gave clarity concerning these marital relationships. He gave clarity concerning marital responsibilities that the wife and the husband were to render to one another due benevolence. And if there was a time when they would... Uh, not render the due benevolence, it would be only because they had set aside a time for prayer and fasting. And then we noted, thirdly, counsel. Paul gave counsel to the Corinthians. And here was his counsel in verse 6. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. For I say, therefore, to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. In other words, he, he, he's telling them that you do not have to uh, buy into this doctrine that teaches that singleness is, is, a, is a spiritual accomplishment, and if you are married that you have somehow caused a sin or, or that you are participating in a sinful activity, you are not, and he's giving uh, counsel there. Now, he certainly recommends singleness, verse 7, for I would that all men were even as myself. Verse 8, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them, uh, if they abide even as I. So he, he's giving this counsel concerning singleness. He's recommending it. But then he recognizes the differences that individuals have. Verse 7, every man hath his proper gift. In other words, not everyone is able to do that. And therefore, in verse 9, 
he responds to those who desire to be married. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And now we come to the fourth thought, and this is where we begin tonight, and that is considerations. Considerations concerning marriage. And in verses 10 through 16, we're going to examine three specific questions that are are posed by those who are married. And I want us to look at them. I'll ask or give you the questions first, and then we'll look at each of them. Here's question number one. Should believers divorce their spouses? Should believers divorce their spouses? Question number two. Should believers continue in their marriage to unbelievers? If a, if, a, if a believer is married to an unbeliever, should they then continue in that marriage? And then the third question, how should believers respond when unbelieving spouses depart from them? Those are three specific questions that Paul will address in these verses. First of all, we'll look at question number one this evening. Should believers divorce their spouses? Let's look together at verse number 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. As we come to to verse number 10, Paul is going to deal then with the subject or the question of believers who are married to believers and should they divorce their spouses. Now remember, there are teachings, there are teachers who are seeking to tell them that if they're going to be spiritual, if they're going to please God, then they cannot be uh, involved in any physical sexual relationships. And therefore, there were people in the church who uh, sought to be divorced, to be separated from their spouses because of this false teaching. Now, there could have been other motives, obviously, in question, right? Maybe a husband just wanted a new wife. Maybe a wife just wanted a new husband. Uh, Maybe their relationship was not uh, what they thought it Uh, should have been. And so they grew discontent. There could have been a number of reasons uh, that they would have asked this question or that they would have wanted a divorce. But the way in which Paul addresses it because of the way in which it was framed is that as believers, should they, in an effort to please God, divorce one another. Now, if you'll notice as Paul responds here, he says, and unto the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. He says, I'm going to give you an answer. And I want you to know that this answer comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just my opinion. This is not just a command that the Holy Spirit has given me as he's inspiring me to write this uh, epistle to you. This is a quote. This is a, a, a command that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave. Now, where does Paul get this command? Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew chapter number 19. We're going to find that the answer to this question comes directly from the Lord himself. And Paul is pointing them to the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 5 
the Lord is speaking, and he says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So he said, When a man and woman are married, they are leaving under the protection and shelter and safety of their home in which they grew up, and they are joining together as two individuals who, as married people, come together in a covenant relationship called marriage, and they're no longer two separate people. They are now one flesh in the Lord. They have been united together in the sight of God. Verse 6, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So here we have the, the seriousness of the marriage commitment and the marriage vow, that this is a union that has taken place as a covenant under God. And as two people come together, they need to come together with the knowledge that God is leading them and has led them, and it is God's will for them to marry this person. That needs to be determined before anything else. And so he says, they're coming together, all right? Verse 7, they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you're going to find, you look in the book of Malachi, you're going to find that even the priests at, at, at this point were, were putting away their wives. They, they were using this bill of divorcement as an excuse to, to make any decision that they wanted to make. In fact, the Pharisees and those in the, the days of the Lord Jesus Christ were also practicing this. They were using this divorce uh, this bill of divorcement that was granted to them uh, be under Moses, they were using that to simply put their wives away. Read the book of Malachi and you'll see that. They're using it uh, because they had decided at some point that they were tired of their wife and they wanted a new one. And of course, in that male-dominated culture uh, with abuses that they uh, were practicing, following their own lustful hearts, uh, women had very few rights and, and uh, much of responsibility. And so the men, free of responsibilities, abusing the Scripture and not pleasing God, decided to put their wives away. And so they're asking, well, if what you're saying is true, if a husband and wife come together and no man should put them asunder, well, if that's true, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away. Just the term itself makes us feel uneasy, does it not? To put her away. And then we come to verse 8, and the answer of the Lord, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so he says, God recognized the hardness of your hearts. What? causes divorce and separation. I'll tell you what causes it, the hardness of our hearts. The hardness of our hearts. Only by pride cometh contention. 
I want to tell you that there is no problem that two believing Christians should not be able with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that they, there's no problem that they should not be able to reconcile over. They may not fully agree on everything, but they certainly should reconcile. And what brings them to reconciliation? It is not the hardness of their heart. It is not pride. It is humility. It is humility. Oftentimes, when couples come to the point of divorce, this is what you hear from him. It's her fault. And this is what you hear from her. It's his fault. And I do want to say this to you as a pastor. I have, I have found out that most of the time when there's problems in a marriage, it is because a husband is not fulfilling his responsibility to love his wife. Now, that's not in every case. That's not in all cases. But I'm telling you, that is a prevalent problem. And may God help us as men to love our wives. And if we love the Lord and we love our wives as we should, in most cases, the marriage problems may not go away totally, but will certainly be alleviated. The hindrances will be removed and we'll have joy in our marriages and in our lives. Well, how should we love our wives? As Christ loved the church. And how did he demonstrate his love? He gave himself for it. What are you willing to give to your bride? Well, you should give yourself to her. You should not be selfish. You should be selfless. And you should love her as Christ loved the church. And so he said, he allowed this because of the hardness of your hearts. But he says at the close of verse 8, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So the question comes, should believers divorce their spouses? The answer is no. But there is an exception. And what is the exception? The exception is in the case of fornication, in the case of adultery. Then the marriage vow is broken. And those who suffer because of an adulterous relationship uh, then are able to divorce and remarry, but they should not do so without pursuing reconciliation. And if it's determined that reconciliation cannot happen, then this is the, the only exception that the Lord makes. So the question is, should believers divorce their spouses? And the answer was given, no. Well, who said so? Paul said, not I, but the Lord. Here's the second question. Should believers continue in their marriage to an unbeliever? Should believers continue in their marriage to an unbeliever? Now, again, because of the uh, teaching on asceticism, saying that uh, to be uh, physically involved with someone else in an intimate sexual relationship is sinful, even your spouse, that's the context we're dealing with here. To be married, to, to be involved in an intimate relationship with your spouse was sin. We know that's a false teaching, right? It's a false teaching. 
But now you bring into this situation and this question a complication, and here's the complication. There were those who had become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but their spouses had not become believers, all right? This is not, uh, this is not uh, a license for unbelievers and believers to be married. In other words, if you're a believer, you, you do not have the right to marry an unbeliever not if you belong to the Lord, all right? He's not dealing, however, with that situation. He's dealing with a situation where you had a man and a wife, they're married, and one of them becomes a believer. And now, as a believer, married to an unbeliever, here's the question, should I continue in my marriage to an unbeliever? Now, let's look at it in verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now, let me just stop and address this statement. Because when we first read that statement, we wonder, what is Paul saying here? Is he denying that this answer comes from the Lord? Is he saying that I'm going to give you what I think, but I'm not going to give you inspired truth? Because it may appear to us on the surface that that is what he's saying. But remember our context. Go back to verse 12. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. And what he's doing here is he's appealing to what the Lord said in Matthew chapter number 19. He's going back to a direct quote that the Lord had given, a direct teaching that the Lord had taught concerning this issue of marriage and divorce. So here what Paul is saying is not that Uh, Not that uh, his answer is not inspired. That's not what he's saying at all. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not quoting the Lord. The Lord did not address this issue specifically. But I'm going to give you an answer as the Spirit of God directs me. To the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now, he's speaking again under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking concerning the question of a believer who was married to an unbeliever, and the question was, should they seek a divorce from their unbelieving spouse? Now, there's one other clarification I want to make, and I've already begun to make that clarification, and he's not dealing, as I said a moment ago, with a believer who marries an unbeliever. He's dealing with a believer who was already married to an unbeliever. In fact, they were both unbelievers, but one of them became a Christian. Now, there is the teaching of the unequal yoke. Go with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 14. The Bible says there, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? We believe the Bible is very clear on this, that if you are a believer, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you should marry a believer. So if you're a single person here today and you want to to be married, then you need to pray that God would send that person to you, and you don't need to consider any person who's not a Christian. Because if you do, you are considering an unequal yoke. 
you are aligning yourself with someone as a partner in life who does not know the Lord, who does not love the Lord, who uh, may not at all want to please the Lord, and who may be pulling in a different direction than what God wants to lead you throughout your life. Now, the Jews recognize this. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 uh, as Malachi prophesied to the men of, of Judah, he said, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? That was his message. You profane the covenant of our fathers. Verse 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. He said, the men of Judah have married the daughters of pagan nations who worship a strange God. In fact, during the days of Haggai and Nehemiah, uh, there was a strong, strong uh, uh, message delivered to the men of Israel, or the men of Judah, who had married pagan women. And we find here that it is a clear principle in the Bible that we are not, as believers, to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, there were those who, again, were teaching that marriage in itself in the physical uh, relationship was sinful, and now they're saying, hey, wait a minute, you're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's true, going into marriage. But if one uh, becomes a believer after marriage, then what do you do? And so the question was, do you leave them? All right? Let's look at the question as it was posed here, or as Paul addressed it. <clears throat> If any brother, verse 12, hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So the question is, yes, you should continue in your marriage. Verse 13, and the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now remember these, these, uh, these who false teachers were saying, if you're married to an unbeliever, if you as a believer are married to an unbeliever and you're involved with them in a physical, intimate way, you are defiling yourself, your children are defiled, your home is defiled. Paul is answering that false teaching directly here and he is saying wait a minute that's not true verse 14 the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband that doesn't mean that the unbelieving husband is saved as a result of his relationship to a saved woman it means that he's sanctified it means that in the eyes of god he is set apart I want to tell you that there is a difference between God's people and the people of this world. When the Lord dealt with the children of Israel and the people of Egypt, he, he, there was a clear line of distinction in the way that he dealt with his people and the way that he dealt with the Egyptians. God protected them uh, from the plagues. 
and God dealt with him differently. And I want to say this to you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to him. You're in the palm of his hand. You're sealed to the day of redemption. You are his child. He loves you. He set his affection on you. You belong to him. You are not out here in the world without a father. You are not in this world without safety and shelter and protection. You belong to God. And I want to tell you, it's a blessed thing to know the Lord. It's a blessed thing to be a part of a church family. The church family offers us protection. The church family offers us blessing. And he's saying here, if you are now finding yourself married to someone who has not put their faith in Christ, you should not view them as defiling of you. You need to understand that because you are present in the home God's blessing is still on your home. Now, it may not be all that you want it to be, right? Because here we have now a believing husband who was married uh, before as an unbeliever, but now he's saved. But his wife, she's not saved. So she has the same carnal Corinthian tendencies. Or a woman who's now saved, married to a, a man of Corinth who is not saved. And he has the same carnal Corinthian tendency. He doesn't understand what she understands. He doesn't have the same desires that she has. But he wants to live with her. And as long as he wants to be married to her, Paul said, then you need to stay married. Now, that can, of course, cause frustration. Uh, imagine that... that uh, there is a difference in how the kids should raise and how they should be taught and, and what they should do on, on the Lord's Day and what activities they should participate in and what they should do with their income. Should they tithe or should they not tithe? Then obviously he's not, if he's an unbeliever, going to understand why she wants to tithe or why she wants to read the Bible or why she wants to take the children to church if he wants to take them out to the sports league on Sunday. There will be frustrations, but if he desires to stay and be married to his wife, then she should stay and be married to him because her influence in the home is a sanctifying influence. So should believers continue in their marriage to an unbeliever? The question is yes. But just to be clear, going into a marriage, no believer should be united to an unbeliever. You say, well, who said that? I want to tell you who said that. God said that. And if you want God's blessing on your life, if you want to be obedient to the Lord, then you're going to honor his word. And his way is always best. Now, here's the third question. How should believers respond when unbelieving spouses depart from them? Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So now let's say, uh, given this question, 
you have an unbelieving wife, you have a believing husband, he has come to faith in Christ, his life has changed, he is serving the Lord in the Corinthian church, his wife wants nothing to do with it, and she says, I'm out of here, I'm finished. What happens to him and how should he respond? Well, let's say that she's a Christian and she wants to be faithful to the Lord, but her husband has no desire to be faithful. He doesn't want to live for God. He doesn't want to be married to a woman who desires to live for God, and he wants out. How should she respond? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer. But if the unbelieving depart, if he wants a divorce, then let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. In other words, if he wants out and he leaves and he abandons his believing spouse, then she is counted as a widow. She is no longer under bondage. She is free as a divorced woman and viewed as a widow who has been abandoned by her unbelieving husband and has the opportunity to remarry. Now, this is what the Bible says. And then he says in verse 16, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? The answer is you don't know. You don't know. And you can only see what happens when that unbelieving spouse either stays or departs. And the message is clear. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. So these are considerations concerning marriage. Now, here's the thing about it. As messy as it was in Corinth, it's pretty messy today, is it not? The cords get tangled up so, so, so tangled that you can't pull them apart. The issues become so difficult. The problems become so, uh, so, so intensified and magnified. And there are people in our church who have gone through dreadful divorces. They've, they've gone through great difficulties. I want you to know that God is not condemning you. God is speaking to you in love and in grace and in mercy. And he's saying to you, there is forgiveness in him. There is healing in him. There is mercy in him. But as we go forward, as we go forward, let's make sure that we direct our steps according to the truths of God's Word. And if you're married, stay married. And if you're unmarried and you want to be married, make sure that you're following the Lord and allowing Him to direct your steps. This world is confused. This world needs clarity and the people who can provide it for them are the people who are walking according to God's truth remember when God desired to make his name known to the pagan nations 
Who did he choose to make it known by? A man named Abraham and his wife named Sarah. He chose a couple. And he said, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you and Sarah, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to multiply your seed, a seed that will be so many in number. It'll be more than the stars in the heavens or the grains of sand on the shores of the beach or in the desert combined. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And through thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Do you know what God wants to do? He wants to use you and your marriage and your life to demonstrate his plan, his program for the home, and to use you to be a blessing to a world that is filled with confusion and clouded in darkness. And so may God help us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.